0: Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Hear from the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2. But God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were spiritually dead and doomed by our sins, He gave us back our lives again when He raised Christ from the dead. Only by His undeserved favor have we ever been saved? And lifted us up from the grave in glory along with Christ where He sits Him in the heavenly realms. And because of what Christ Jesus did, we can have that hope. Amen. Amen. will not you stand to your feet? Let's sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. Sing with it. What
1: can a wash oh? blood
2: church. It's always a joy and a privilege to be in the house of the Lord, and especially on a day when we get to observe believer's baptism, Um, because it signifies to us that a life has been identified with the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection. The two gentlemen that we have coming this morning come to our church from different backgrounds one has been coming to our church his whole life others have uh one has just come uh recently uh but the thing that they hold in common is this is that they both have realized that for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through christ jesus our lord And then they both realized, in order for that to take place in their life, that they must call out to the Lord Jesus, that whoever confesses with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believes in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, that they too would be saved. And they called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, and they were gloriously saved. So I know that you celebrate with me this morning. The the illustration of what it means to be a believer. Dead to the old self and raised to live in a new way. So the first one that we have this morning is Colton Jordan. Colton, why don't you come down? Colton has been coming to our church uh, around a year. Uh, The uh, the Mertz family has been uh, going to pick him up. And uh, one Wednesday night after church, he said, Kevin, I need to talk to you. And so we went to one of the the Sunday school rooms and um, he asked me what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to be saved. We went through the plan of salvation and that night he gave his heart and his life to the Lord Jesus. Colton, do you know that Jesus is Lord and he's the Lord of your life? Yes. Amen. Amen. Face this way. Then upon your profession of faith, it's my honor, my privilege to baptize you, my brother Colton, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in the
0: newness of the Christian life. Amen, I, I, I love
2: you. Do we have friends and family of Colton here this morning? If so, would you guys please stand? We would like to recognize you this morning, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Next, we have Curtis McKinnis. I think Curtis has been coming to church nine months before he was born. (laughs) Um, Before his uh, freshman year in high school, um, we went to Snowbird. And at Snowbird, um, he confided in one of the counselors there and said, you know, I'm just feeling uh, a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. And that counselor just looked at him and said, Curtis, you just need to trust the Lord. You just need to seek the Lord. And it was at that moment that that Curtis asked the Lord Jesus into his heart and his life to save him. So, Curtis, do you know that Jesus is the Lord and he's the Lord of your life? Yes, I do. Amen. Then, upon your profession of faith, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my brother Curtis, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Bear with Christ in the likeness of his death. I'm raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. I think the water is leaving the station. (laughs) Do we have friends and family of Curtis here this morning? Would you guys please stand? Amen. Amen. God bless you. I don't know how to fix this, so let's continue to worship the Lord together.
3: Well, good morning. We are so glad that you're with us in worship today. Welcome, and thank you for being a part. If you are a guest of ours this morning, we ask that you please take one of the care cards. Uh, They're located there in the pew rack just in front of you, and fill in your information. We'd like to have a record of you being here and send you something from our church. And on the back of the care card for everyone is a place to fill in any prayer request uh, that you might have as you leave today. There are two wooden boxes on the round tables. You can leave those slips there uh, as you leave. But thank you again uh, for being with us today in worship. I do need to mention one major announcement. Next Sunday uh, will be Missions in Action Sunday for Pitts Baptist Church. And it'll be really a different format when you come here at nine o'clock we normally would have community groups but next week we'll have breakout sessions uh, for you to meet and there's six different ones uh, that will be going on at nine o'clock and hopefully you received a flyer when you came in this morning if you didn't uh, those will be available as you leave but each one of those uh, describes uh, the different class and the facilitator and the location and we'll have people around here also when you arrive to help you find those classrooms for that but there's one Uh, on loving your neighbor ideas on how to reach your neighbor uh, with the gospel there's missions 101 it's uh, hear the details you can go on a mission trip and they'll explain how to do that and how you can be involved in going evangelism uh, practical ways to share your faith how is Pitts involved in missions and how can you get more involved Uh, that's one of the classes and in a little while pastor scott's going to come up and read about And tell you about all the different things and different ways you've been involved in missions just this past year. Sharing Christ with kids. uh, That's another one uh, that will be available. So there's six different classes. uh, They'll be taught in two different sessions. And so you can go to one of those the first session. And then go to another one. And all the classes will be taught twice. uh, So that you can be a part of those classes. And we want to encourage you to do that and be a part. Uh, one of our representatives from the Baptist State Convention, Randy Randy Maynard, will be here to give the message. Uh, and again, Pastor Scott will have some more to share on that in a minute. On the bottom of that flyer also is a place for you to RSVP. Our uh, disaster relief group from Baptist on Mission will be here to actually feed us lunch next Sunday. We just need a number from you so we know how to plan correctly. Uh, I think they're fixing pot roast, which is one of their best meals they fix they've done that for us a couple times and I usually go through the line a few times but anyway um, don't tell anybody but anyway it's it's really good Um, where's Kemp too I remember last time and I think Will you guys went through the line a couple times too I'm telling on y'all but anyway um, it was really good Uh, there is that tear off at the bottom if you would please do that and then also there's a place asking for you to help with desserts if you can help uh, fix a dessert and drop that off on your way in we would greatly appreciate that uh, please be watching the Friday Blast. If you don't get that, contact the church office. We would love for you to have those uh, Friday emails that come out each week telling you about everything that's going on in our church, and it helps uh, for you to know uh, what's happening. But anyway, we do have one uh, a matter of business this morning to vote for our deacons. And so if you are a member of our church, if you would please stand at this time, our deacons will be coming by to and ushers to give you a ballot and once you receive one of those ballots you can have a seat and and I'll explain some instructions to you uh while you're waiting on that please notice that you there are 13 names on this ballot but we ask that you only vote for up to 10 And you say well Kevin I only know two people on this ballot that's okay you can vote for one to 10 names on the ballot uh, but not over 10 because we don't know uh, how to interpret that so uh vote for either one person up to 10 names and you can be seated once you receive your ballot and then uh you can get a pen out of the uh uh, front pew there and make your vote and then fold it one time in half and then pass those toward the center if you would and this group up here in the middle if you guys want to pass it to this end here in the middle you guys can do that but the rest of the groups you'll pass them toward the middle uh the downstairs groups if you'll pass those toward the middle take just a moment to do that So seeing people finishing, again, if you'll pass those toward the middle, uh, ushers will pick those up. This section at the top, if you'll pass that to this side, and the ushers will get that center section. We'll wait just another couple, uh, another minute. All right, thank you very much, ushers and deacons, for your help with that. Any more ballots? If you'll hold those up high. Anybody we've missed? There's some over here in the balcony. All right, let's take just a moment uh, to silence and quiet our hearts for a moment and be in prayer. I know there are needs uh, in a room this size that you have, so let's bow our heads and we'll pray silently for just a moment, and then I'll open us out loud. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you've allowed us to come to this building to worship with your church, God. and We pray that today would be a day that we would honor you, that we would hear a message today that we could think about the rest of the day and be challenged by and be changed by, God, that you would speak through our pastor and that we would be willing to listen uh, with our ears and with our heart today, God. We do thank you for Curtis and Colton and their decision to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and then to make that public today. That's never an easy thing to stand in front of a crowd, but God, you ask us to do that out of obedience. And God, we pray that as you ask Curtis and Colton to do other things, God, that they would be willing, like today, to say yes, God. Just use them in a great way and help them to be a testimony to those around them uh, with their lives, God. We do uh, pray for this service today, God, that you again would be honored by. God, we pray for Miss Fran who uh, fell at the beginning. God, we pray that she is okay and not having any serious injuries. God, we pray for her. God, we pray for Jessica Kimes who leaves this afternoon at 4.30 to go to Madrid, Spain for at least a year, God, that you would be with her, give her safety as she travels. And God, use her in a powerful way there in Spain, God, to share um, her personal testimony and to share the gospel with students that are there, God. Just be with her, keep her safe. I know her family is probably a little nervous about this too, God, that you would give them peace. God, we do ask that you would be, again, honored today. Be with us in this service. And God, thank you for all you do for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Would you stand as we continue in worship, worshiping the King of Kings. And Lord of lords sing this great hymn with me lift your voices let's sing together crown him with many crowns the Lamb of
1: Move for good, for the Lamb had conquered death, and the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who come, to the Father are restored, and the church.
4: On now. I'm on. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. It's good to see you here today. Uh, let me invite you to find Mark chapter six in your copy of the scripture as we continue our series uh, passage by passage, going through the Gospel of Mark. And this morning, we're going to be looking at somewhat of a difficult uh, subject matter. Uh, But a very needed subject matter, the danger of pleasing men rather than God. The danger of pleasing men rather than God. We'll stand in a moment and read from verses 14 down through verse uh, 32. Uh, Before we get there, though, I want to say a word about next week. Remember, as part of next week, we will take up an offering, a special offering, the Harvest Fund... The purpose of the Harvest Fund is that it goes to our own people who are going on mission trips out of our church. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, flights and fuel and reservations and food, all those things get pretty expensive uh, for somebody to, uh, to take everything out of their own budget. And so as a church body, we try to supplement some of what uh, folks going on out on mission uh, need. So uh, we ask you to give generously next week to the Harvest Fund. Remember, and again, it goes to our own folks here in Pitts. You know, in uh, Acts chapter 1 and uh, verse 8, the disciples wanted to argue about various things. They wanted to debate about eschatology, end-time things, and when the Lord was going to establish the kingdom there in Israel and so forth and and he said guys you know it's not not your place to know all this it's, that's in the father's hands but you shall be my witnesses you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth and as a church we're trying to do that we're trying to go uh, locally and regionally and nationally and internationally uh, let me just go over some of the ways that you have been involved this year, and I believe there will be probably some slides coming up also. Yes? No? Yes. Okay. Uh, of course, our people have been to Alaska something like four times now, uh, working in a couple of different areas in Alaska. We have a partnership with Alaska through North Carolina Baptist And James and Janet Blandford in our congregation have headed up these Alaska teams. And we're so grateful uh, to them for the way they've taken leadership uh, in this area. Our people have been to West Virginia, to Snowbird, and Andrews, actually doing some construction-oriented type work there at Snowbird. Uh, In the past, our young people have been to Malawi, Africa in 2023 they are returning uh, there Uh, also we're going to be invited as you'll hear next week uh, to join an IMB efforts in Paris France Uh, also our seniors our college and our epic group they've been to Kennedy Children's Home uh, near Greenville North Carolina they've been there uh, a couple of times Uh, Usually that trip is taken in May. Uh, Through local ministries, the ladies sewing group, they make things and these are distributed to uh, cancer patients and so forth. We work with Christian Cooperative Ministries here in Cabarrus County, Uh, my father's house here in Cabarrus County, then Operation Christmas Child. Uh, think about some of the international missionaries that we have currently serving from our church Jeanette Sullivan her mom and dad in our church Katie Cloys, Brandon Brooks uh, these three young ladies in difficult places Jeanette returning uh, to an area of Russia uh, Katie Cloys and Brandon Brooks in areas in Asia that we're not even supposed to mention Uh, Kevin mentioned Jessica Kimes. She leaves today. Uh, She will be in Spain for a year uh, through crew ministries that used to be known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Logan Dagley is out of our church. He he pastors a church in New York City. Uh, Katie Manning, uh, likewise, out of our church. She and her husband are on the mission field this summer. We've had Rachel Sweetser, Gina Hardister, and Olivia Andrews uh, serving in various places, uh, camps like Snowbird or uh, Luracrest. We've had 183 people this year going out on mission trips, and some of those more than once. And so, as you can see, our people are very involved. I commend you for this. And again, next week, we'll, we'll recognize this much more, and you'll be given opportunities where you can get plugged in if you've not had an opportunity uh, to do so already. Uh, it would be my prayer that 2023 would be a year that you and your family uh, would get plugged into one of these areas, locally, regionally, nationally, or internationally. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please? <clears throat> Mark chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. What did King Herod hear of? All of the activity of Jesus and his disciples in that region. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when King Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sinned and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison. And brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Let's pray together. Father, we know that as believers, we have always been in situations calling for great courage. God I pray that in these last days in which we minister that we would be bold witnesses for the sake of Christ Lord that we would not bow to the spirit of the age that we would not back down that we would not be silent Lord you've given us a message to proclaim and yes we are to proclaim that message in a spirit of love We are to do no other. But yet, Lord, we are to honor you. We are to please you and not men. Lord, some of the things in this message may be hard to comprehend and hard to apply in our lives. But, Lord, we pray that you would give us a strength beyond anything that we possess on our own. That when we stand before the uh, Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ one day, we would hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Speak to us today. Lord, all I can do is speak to ears. I'm just a man speaking to other men and women. But it takes your spirit to speak to hearts. I would ask you to do that today. Accomplish your purposes here this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think with me a moment about the following verses. Uh, you don't need to turn there. Just listen to this selection of verses I want to read to you. Galatians 1.10 Paul says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. First Thessalonians 2, 4 but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Isaiah two twenty two. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. For of what account is he? And then finally in Acts chapter 5. When they brought them they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying we strictly charge you not to teach in this name yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered we must obey God rather than men. Folks, all of those verses warn of the temptation that man has to please other people. There's just something about our nature. We want the approval of others. We need to see that this is dangerous, though, if the approval of man is contrary to the approval of God. I've got a question for you. When pleasing your friends goes against pleasing God, what do you do? I hope you and I would please God, but do we? Have you ever faced a situation like that? Many of you, no doubt, have. We're going to see warnings today about this. It, you know, it can be a trap, it can be a real test of our faith. Now we know also that those who don't care for God will often tempt those who do to disobey God. And what we're going to see today is that we need to make a very decisive decision in our lives that when pleasing God or pleasing men are set against one another in our lives, we always need to prepare our hearts to please God despite the cost that we might have to pay. First thing I want you to see with me today is a troubling confusion. Look again at verses 14 to 16. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Folks, what does this scenario sound like? I'll tell you what it sounds like to me. You remember when Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi? He took them to a region in the land that was known for all of its paganism and all of their idols and false gods. And in that environment there in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And some said, Uh Uh, There are people saying you're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, you're one of the prophets. But you remember what Jesus said? He said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And that's when Simon Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. This scenario is like that. There's a lot of confusion over the identity of Jesus as we read this, this passage. And, you know, we live in a day and age today where there's a lot of confusion over the person and work of Christ. Why is it that people have such a hard time with this? People often ask, is he a prophet? Was he just a good teacher? Or was he a fake and a fraud? Or is he who he claimed to be? Is he the Lord? Is he the son of the living God? And I want to say to you, every person has to deal with the identity of Jesus. You cannot be saved without settling the issue in your life of who Jesus is. Everybody here today has to settle that issue. Do you believe he is who the scripture says he is? And that he did what the scripture says that he did? You can't remain neutral on that question. Neutrality even is a decision. Have you made a choice about Christ? What are you doing with him in your life? You know in John 14, 6 he said I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I think of the challenges of the early church. The first 400 years of the early church. There were all kinds of heretics popping up from every quarter, every region around them. And it was in those first 400 years that the early disciples and the early church and the church fathers had to hammer out doctrines of of who the Bible says Jesus is. They had to be very clear on this and they came up with some wonderful confessions of faith. By the way, confessions of faith that they wrote which are still our standards even today. If he's only a fraud you can ignore him if he's a prophet he needs to be listened to but if he's the Lord he deserves to be obeyed and followed and submitted to have you settled the issue in your own life of who Jesus is I want to remind you the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that there is coming a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God has never been afraid of the honest questions of men. Men and women who have had honest questions have often ended up coming to faith in Jesus Christ if they were really open and honest about it. God is not afraid of your honest questions if I'm speaking to somebody here this morning in that scenario. A second thing I want you to see with me this morning a tormented conscience. A tormented conscience beginning there in verse 17. You can see with what Herod is going through here that there's no doubt a bit of fear in him. He doesn't know what to make of Jesus and he's scared or somewhat concerned as to who Jesus may be. Because he's given the order to have John the Baptist beheaded and now he thinks that Jesus might be John the Baptist come back from the dead and probably he's thinking, is he going to take some kind of revenge upon me? Now let me explain the background of what was going on here. Herod was an adulterer along with his wife Herodias. Their marriage was not proper. It was a marriage based on lust and greed. This is Herod Antipas. He was the tetrarch or the ruler of Galilee and Perea from 4 B.C. to A.D. 39. He was not officially a king, but this title for him was popularly used. Now, Philip, his brother, was not the Philip mentioned early on in Luke's gospel. But this Philip is Herod Philip. Again, the brother of Herod Antipas. Herodias had left Herod Philip to live with and then marry Philip's brother, Herod Antipas. And so this is a case of one brother stealing the other brother's wife. Don't you know that must have made for some pretty interesting holiday gatherings? (laughs) Now obviously according to the law in the book of Leviticus, this was not to be recognized as a legal or a proper marriage. Legal marriages in the Bible have to do with maybe when you have been abandoned by your mate or perhaps your mate has been unfaithful to you or your spouse has died and then you're free to remarry without any kind of stigma being attached. Other remarriages in the Bible that were not on proper grounds are considered to be adulterous. And that's why I've had to say to couples before, I can't perform your wedding. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be insensitive. But unless you have a biblical case for divorce and remarriage, I don't have the liberty in the sight of the Lord to say, Okay, I'll marry you. Again, it's not it's not personal I just don't have the liberty to do it you're asking of me something that the scripture doesn't give me the freedom to do let me take a detour for a moment from the flow of this text and I I want you to understand this is going to be a detour but I think it's going to be a timely one and it's going to tie back in to to Herod and Herodias and I want to tell you something this morning with with no doubt about it, no uncertainty about it. In fact, you can mark down what I'm about to say. This is going to be the area where the modern-day church will face the most challenges and opposition. Questions having to do with the Christian sexual ethic will be the battlefield between the church and the world. In fact, it's already becoming that. Gender issues, for example. Genesis 1.26 tells us, "...God created them male and female." Look at what is going on today in the world with gender issues. And sadly, I just read a report yesterday out of Ligonier Ministries. Many of you are acquainted with Ligonier. They've done a new study and a new survey where even among supposedly conservative evangelical Christians, 37% of evangelical Christians now are saying, you can choose your own gender. 37 percent how about marriage Genesis 224 says a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh folks it was Adam and Eve it was not Adam and Steve (laughs) marriage biblically speaking is to be between one man and one woman biblically What is a legitimate marriage? What is a legitimate marriage that the church can come around and bless and the people can be married? You know the answers to these questions. But we're more and more in an age today where people are saying, hey... Love is love. We ought to be able to marry whoever we want to marry, whenever we want to, under any circumstances whatsoever. And if you don't agree with us, we're going to come after you. Trust me, this is going to be a battle line for churches all across America. Even some churches with strong doctrinal statements about the Word of God unfortunately will fold on this issue they will come to church and inside the four walls inside the safety of the four walls of the church they'll say that they believe in the authority and the inspiration of the Bible but when faced with sticky situations that are contrary to Scripture nonetheless some will cave they'll say with their lips that they follow the authority of the Bible but when certain situations develop they'll unfortunately have some kind of schizophrenia going on inside of them between belief and practice. The issue will be not just what do we believe about Scripture concerning its inspiration and infallibility, but the issue will also involve the sufficiency of Scripture. Do we believe that the Scripture has the right to dictate what we actually do? what we practice and again that's happening already and it's an area that Christians are going to be faced more and more with there's even some discussions going on in high places in Washington about the possibilities of even laws and religious freedoms being taken away that, that if we say certain things against certain marriages or certain type of sexual things going on, you, they're debating on whether or not a person can even be put in jail or not. They're using terms like, if you speak against somebody's sexuality, is this a case where we might could arrest you for violence? of all things, what they're talking about. That you have uh, committed some kind of violence against that person because you will not go along with what they want. Folks, all of this stuff is happening already. And it's an area in this nation you and I are going to have to deal with. We're going to have to face this situation. Let me tell you of a personal story that happened to me a number of years ago. I received a call. A man that I knew very well called me. He was a member of a country church where I knew the people very well. These were dear people, sweet folks. I knew just about all of them, sweet people. And it's one of those churches, some of you maybe grew up in a church like this, church of, uh, say, 100, 120, 125. Everybody in the church seems to be related to one or two or, or two or three main families. I mean, everybody in the church is connected to one of these two or three families. And, and in a situation like that, if a preacher makes one person mad, man, he's got 50 people breathing down his, down his neck mad. Well, they had called a new pastor. And the church, according to this phone call I I got, was about to blow sky high over an issue. There was a prominent member in the church, and I don't mean by prominent, that he was wealthy. He and his family were just dearly loved. And his daughter, his daughter and another man, they, they... let me just be blunt about it. For no other reason than just they just sort of set their eyes on one another and, and, and started kind of fooling around, doing what they ought not. They were going to break up their fam, destroy their families, and get married. And they went to this new preacher to say, we want you to do it. And he said, I cannot do that. I cannot be a part of this. And unfortunately, they were about to tar and feather him and ride him out of town because of how much everybody loved this family that this girl was a part of. And Fred said, Scott, what do we do? I said, Fred, you and the other deacons and the church leaders need to have the backbone and the the courage to stand with Pastor Rob." And say, this would be a, a divorce and remarriage that is wrong. Pastor Rob's made the only decision that a pastor could make. And you guys need to stand with him and have that courage to do so. Folks, sometimes we're going to just have to have the courage to say the church isn't going to go along with and endorse and bless what you're doing. Again, it's not intended to be mean. We've just got to honor God. There are those times in life you've got to say like the apostles, we've got to obey God rather than men. We've got to be God-pleasers instead of men-pleasers. You see, it's only half the equation when we say the Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. That's just just the belief side of the equation. But then the second half is, are we going to allow the inspired, inerrant Word of God to dictate our practice to us our behavior are we going to do what we say we believe and i'm not talking about those areas you know so many areas on the spectrum you you have plain black and white, right and wrong, but so many areas in the spectrum uh, Christians deal with where they don't have a chapter and verse and it seems like a gray area and we honestly uh, question and debate, what do we do in these situations? I'm not talking about that I'm talking about those plain black and white areas where we know what's right, we know what's wrong, we know what the Bible says, there's no question about it, are we going to do what the scripture says in those occasions? Or are we going to be hearers only and not doers of the word? James says if we're hearers only and not doers, we are deceiving ourselves. We're deceived. If if I don't practice what I say I believe, I am deceived. Now folks, that detour I just took, it's not just chasing a rabbit. It has everything to do with this text. Because that's precisely what's going on here. John the Baptist had the courage, he had the backbone to confront this marriage. He knew the scripture, he knew what it said. And now here's Herod And Herodias right in front of him And you know there's a common phrase that we use today Speaking truth to power That's what's going on here Herod and Herodias are the ones in power They're the governing authorities And then there's John the Baptist He's got no earthly titles and authority But he's God's man And so what's John the Baptist do? He calls them out for their blatant sin. They are public figures and they are doing what should not be publicly done. And John wasn't going to just let it pass. You know what? John the Baptist was willing to call sin, sin. Do we have Christians today willing to call sin, sin? Too many just want to look the other way. Now, God hasn't called us to stand on the corner and denounce everything. But when we're involved in a situation that's right in our face and we're asked to weigh in on it and be a part of it in some way, folks, are we going to call sin, sin, and evil, evil? We're living in a culture now that's willing to tolerate anything and everything except godly convictions. Society is now calling evil good and good evil. And God's prophets down through the ages have called it out for what it is. I think in modern times we've had the case of somebody like Billy Sunday Billy Sunday was the Billy Graham of his day Billy Sunday died in 1935 and so he was just before the time of Billy Graham and he held crusades all over the world just like Billy Graham now Billy Sunday had been a professional major league baseball player that God had saved and called into the ministry and he was known in his preaching. Man, he, he was a hard hitter. He preached heaven sweet, hell hot, and Jesus saves. <laughs> and somebody told Billy Sunday on one occasion, they said, Billy, you rubbed the fur on the cat the wrong way. You know what Billy Sunday said in response? He said, then the cat just needs to turn around. Now again, folks, we obviously need need to conduct ourselves in the right spirit. But the right spirit doesn't mean that you and I have to condone everything. Hear me on this. Going along with sin is not the loving thing to do. The loving thing to do is to tell that person God's truth. That's the loving thing to do. The character of John the Baptist comes out in this. He is a man of God who can't be bought. Remember that story in the book of Judges about the preacher being bought in Judges 17 and 18? There's a story there uh, of a guy who's willing to be uh, a priest and a prophet and a chaplain to whatever family, whatever tribe in Israel can do the most for him. Um uh, Jerry Vines, who used to pastor First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida, he's got a sermon on this entitled, A Meal Ticket and a Suit of Clothes. I mean, here was a guy who who for a meal ticket and a suit of clothes, whoever can do the most for him, he'll come and be your priest and your chaplain and your prophet. And he would just go from place to place, uh, whoever could do the most for him. You know, tragically, we've got too many men like that today. How sad that too many care about their security. They will not preach on repentance or they won't deal with tough, tough subjects because they just don't want to offend anybody. You know what, folks? That's the beauty of preaching through whole books in the Bible. Because when you preach through whole books in the Bible, you simply got to deal with the next passage that occurs. It may not be a topic that you naturally want to deal with, but you got to deal with it because it's next up. You know, nobody can sit in the pew and say the preacher was picking on me today. No, he's not picking on me today. It was just the next passage that we were going to deal with in this book. But so many won't do that. 2 Timothy 4 has become true in so many circles today. People want teachers who will tickle their ears. And again, John wouldn't do that. John spoke the truth and you know what Herod didn't like being told he was wrong especially Herodias didn't like that they turn on the messenger Herod has him put in jail but at the same time Herod was afraid of John he knew John was right and he knew John was a man of God John's preaching troubled Herod and at the same time Herod enjoyed hearing John. There's this paradox going on. Herod probably had him put in jail to appear as though he was being tough on the preacher who called him out. But he probably thought he'd leave John in jail just for a while and then set him free. But you know his wife had other plans. Herod's the picture of a torn man. Herod might have soothed his conscience by saying, Well, you know, I do enjoy hearing him. I must be okay in my heart. I must be okay in my soul. Because I really enjoy hearing John. And that's how some people are. They they soothe their conscience by convincing themselves, I, I do enjoy hearing preaching, even if it's hellfire and brimstone type preaching. I like hearing it. But folks, do you realize you can hear all the preaching in the world and still not be right with God? You can enjoy hearing some of the hardest preaching out there and say, man, I love it when a preacher steps on my toes. And you can still be far from God. People like Herod are constantly just going back and forth. They want to hear, they don't want to hear. They laugh at the message, they get mad at the message. They come to church, they walk out mad. They vow they'll never go back, they go back. It's just back and forth. Maybe you know somebody like that. Third thing I want you to see with me. A tainted compromise. A tainted compromise. Look there beginning in verse 21. Herod throws a party now the lewdness of the parties of the Herods were well known here were men sitting around and most people say in keeping with the parties of the day with many of the pagan leaders Alcohol would have been flowing freely and abundantly. And right in the middle of this party, a girl comes in. And again, some commentators point out, keeping with the history of these parties, they suggest that her dancing was probably very sensual and lewd. I mean, she's not a ballerina at the local arts theater. This is probably a case of understated eloquence in the Bible. We're being told something here in a very nice and polite way. In reality, there was probably some nudity and some strong sexual overtones. And all of the men that Herod had sitting around at that party, they were well pleased. And Herod wants to reward his stepdaughter for pleasing his male guest. And so he makes a very unwise promise to her in front of everybody. And she runs off to her mom and tells her mom what has been said, what's been promised to her and says, Mom, what should I ask for? The trap has now been laid. The trap's been laid. And Herod's taken the bait. And Herodias... Reels this whole situation in She tells her daughter You go back to Herod and say I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter Now what in the world is Herod to do with this? But you see folks He's made this public vow in front of his guest Is he going to go back on his promise? Now he should have said I promised you a gift not a murder And you would think his guest would have understood this. I'll not take another man's life. But remember these are probably pagan men who didn't care one bit about life. Herod's wanting to save face even if it cost another man his life. He knows this is wrong but he's going to do it anyway. He gives the order and sends the executioners to John. He's a compromiser. John the Baptist must die now folks what can we say about John John on the other hand is a prophet who would not compromise he's not a man pleaser John knew that a day would come that he would have to stand before the sovereign God of the universe John was somebody who would do what he did and say what he said because God dictated everything about his life John becomes a profile in courage for you and me today. John was the type of prophet who would prefer that the whole world be against him if he had God's approval. That's what John was after in his life. John couldn't be bought, he couldn't be bribed, he couldn't be flattered. Now tell me, what type of person do you like to be around? Don't you like to be around somebody like that? Somebody who will tell you what you want to hear even if it means you'll face the judgment of God for it someday. Is that the person you want to be around or do you want to be around somebody who will tell you God's truth but in love? They'll tell you what you need to hear even if it hurts. Is it the loving thing to do to be silent and let somebody fall deeper and deeper into sin? Or is it the loving thing to do to tell them the truth with the hopes that they'll find Christ in the process? Hopefully those questions answer themselves. What I'm saying here is that the church today has got to be ready, like John, to suffer for telling God's truth. Are you ready to do that? 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, In the last days perilous times will come. And Paul goes on to say there, Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. And later in that same chapter, Paul said, All of those who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Folks, I believe Christians are in a day today that if we speak the truth in love, you better look out. You better look out. I don't know if you get some of the religious news that I do. I I doubt it just by virtue of my role as a pastor. But decisions are being made in America right now where more and more of our religious freedoms are on the line and they're being jeopardized. I honestly wonder what type of environment we're going to face in the next five to ten years. What kind of environment are our children and our grandchildren going to face? Are you ready for this? Are you? Are you going to speak the truth in love? No matter the cost that it might bring to you. Are you willing to do that? Or are you just going to go along to get along? Are you going to be a compromiser who wants to protect your own skin above all else? Even if protecting your own skin dishonors God. Are you prepared for what's coming next for the church? It'd be my prayer that there'd be more John the Baptist today. Again, men and women who can't be bought, can't be bribed, can't be flattered. Men and women who won't compromise God's truth. What are you going to do? Let me give you some takeaways today. First of all, I want you to see that you can't ride the fence on the identity of Jesus. Folks, you have got to make up your mind. You can try to avoid Him. You can try to ignore Him. But the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. You will not put off your appointment with God. You'll not be one minute late for that appointment. And when that day comes, you can't straddle the fence. You have the gracious opportunity in this life to draw the line now on where you're going to stand. Have you decided what you're going to do with Jesus Christ? Second takeaway, there's only one remedy for a guilty conscience. And that's to deal with the source of your guilt, which is your sin. But you know, the good news of the Bible is that Jesus Christ is our propitiation. And that means he took all of the wrath of God, all the punishment of God against sin, and he died on the cross for you. He died in your place. He took your guilt and your sin that you might be clothed, in his forgiveness and his righteousness while people will do a lot of things even religious things to soothe a guilty conscience only one thing will soothe it and that is a relationship with Christ Herod missed the best opportunity he had to get right with God his consciousness of his own sin should have led him to God But instead, he hardened his heart. He is a man who is without excuse. And I want to invite you today to not be like Herod. If God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, is convicting you of your sin and drawing you to faith in Christ, I would beg of you, come to Him today before it is too late. And you know what? All that sin, all that guilty conscience, he can can wash it all away. What's the song say? Sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Amen? The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. A third takeaway I want you to see. The Bible says that the righteous... The Bible speaks of this in the book of Proverbs. The righteous will thank you for correcting them. But you know what? It also says that the unrighteous will hate you for doing so. When you correct the Herodias' of the world, I want you to be prepared to encounter their hatred And their wrath. Are you prepared to do so? Are you prepared? Again I ask you that same question. Are you prepared to take a stand. And be a God pleaser. Rather than a man pleaser. Let's pray together. Father. We thank you for this passage. Again it's a difficult passage to deal with. But it's a passage that needs to be dealt with. When we think of our own environment today and what the church is being asked to do and what the church is being asked not to say, God, I pray that we would be men and women with backbone and with courage. Again, that everything we do, everything we say would be done in the right spirit and the loving spirit because we're just sinners who've been saved by grace. We're We're not throwing rocks we're not angry. We're just trying to faithfully speak God's truth. God, give us the courage to do that. I pray for that person right now within the sound of my voice who maybe is dealing with a situation at work, maybe at school. And what we've said this morning about John the Baptist, that's, that's where they're living today. This passage has their name and address all over it because they're being asked to compromise their basic Christian convictions God give that person the strength, the fortitude to be faithful to you. God help the church in these days to be strong to know your word, to be men and women of biblical conviction, to not only say that we believe the Bible Not just saying that we believe it's your inerrant and infallible truth. But God, that we would even believe the sufficiency of Scripture. That we would practice it when it intersects with these different situations in our lives. Help us to be doers of the Word. And God, I pray for that person here this morning who's in Herod's shoes. They need to repent of their sin, and they need to come to Christ. And I pray that they would do that this very day. Paul says to the Corinthians, Behold, today is the day of salvation. The writer of Hebrews says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. God, I pray that they wouldn't harden their hearts, but they would come to Christ.